Welcome to The Cold Truth, CryoCure's podcast where we speak with industry leaders to dispel myth from truth and help the world better understand the ever-changing cannabis landscape. And now, here is your host, CryoCure co-founder and president, Greg Bachman. All right, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in to the Cold Truth podcast, where we dispel myths about the cannabis industry. Today, we have a very special guest who I would like to pass off and let him introduce himself. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you. Uh, uh, so my name is Dan Vinkovetsky, uh, formerly known as uh, Danny Denko of High Times. Uh, that was the name that I wrote under for almost 20 years uh, in the cultivation department over there. And uh, yeah. Since then, uh, um, that job ended in 2020, and I have been uh, the editor of Northeast Leaf Magazine and the co-host of the Grow Bud Yourself podcast since 2020. So uh, that's been keeping me busy, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, which, oh, congratulations, by the way, on your new uh, award. If you want to tell everybody about what you guys just got recognized for, which is <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we won uh, Northeast Leaf Magazine, won a uh, award from NECAN, New England Cannabis Conventions, uh, for best news information source of 2022, uh, which is quite an honor. We're very, uh, very proud of that. That's, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's great to be a voice for the Northeast. This is where I got my start. Uh, and it's uh, changing very rapidly as well. A lot of interesting new things happening all the time. So uh, it's really exciting to be a part of it. It is, it is. So it, what's really exciting is that we have you here because the first time I ever got to talk to you was when we were submitting a cultivar to the Michigan Cannabis Cup. And we were kind of having a disagreement whether if it was a hybrid or if it was a sativa, it was original sour diesel. and. Uh, but you said everything's a hybrid, which is, <laughs> which was funny. I laughed and I said, he's right. He's right. You know, so, but just as a conception for, um, let's just say a consumer, uh, the consumer that's out there, um, do you have a better way of explaining that instead of as, as kind of generalized as it is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely some truth to it. It's, it's, it's an oversimplification of something that's really more, much more complicated. So, uh, in in a lot of ways, when people are, are beginners, uh, you know, you introduce concepts to them uh, in simple ways. So, the idea of indica versus sativa, um, you have many many different hybrids, many different cultivars, and plants that have have acclimated to certain places and land races. Uh, and heirloom strains. There's all these different terms for, for this, but uh, the plant originated in basically Central Asia and was spread all around the world by, by human beings and it, uh, adapted to the places where it went, whether it be at high altitude or at a high latitude, uh, uh, up in the mountains, in the valley, uh, how much sun it gets, how hot it is, all these things affected the plant in all these different places. And we're talking from Africa to South America, all, you know, Southeast Asia, all these different places. And not only that, but it was also selected for different purposes. So if you're talking about, you know, in Northern Russia and places like that, uh, where it was selected for rope, 
uh, you know, and, and that's why you end up with ruderalis. You have these very short flowering times. And then in Southeast Asia, more so maybe for tea, uh, in the Middle East for hashish. So people, you know, if you're choosing for hash plants, you want short, stocky, uh, lots of trichomes. You're growing in harsh, uh, hot environments uh, without a lot of nutrients in the soil, typically. And so different plants get chosen for those purposes by the environment and, and by people. Mm -hmm. And all of those things have this huge effect on the plant. Um, so certainly if you're in a valley and you have a longer flowering time, the leaves can be wider and bigger uh, and the plant will be shorter and stockier. If you go up into a mountain or you're closer to the equator, for instance, uh, you're gonna have thinner leaves because mm -hmm. they're gonna get way more sun. So, uh, and the effect can also be, you know, chosen for. So mm -hmm. if you're talking about Moroccan hash has a quite much more of a sedative effect, whereas uh, Vietnamese or uh, lowland Thai cannabis chosen more for medicinal purposes and teas and things can, can be much more uplifting right. and can also uh, even tend to hermaphrodite because they don't care. I mean, they're boiling it up you know, they're not making hash, they're doing it for a different purpose. And so uh, over time, the plant adapted to all these different places and with all these different effects. Uh, so uh, it's, it is an oversimplification and there are certainly uh, plants that take a longer time to flower uh, that have more sedative effects. Even when you harvest can have an effect. If you harvest mm -hmm. late, yes. um, you get more CBN as opposed to THC and the, the THC degrades and results in a more lethargic high. Uh, so that has an effect. And uh, again, it's a, a oversimplification that makes a very complicated thing very simple, but also distorts the idea. If you walk into a dispensary and you just say like, oh, I'm having trouble sleeping. And they say, oh, you need an indica. Well, you know, it's a, a much more complicated situation than that. But uh, why don't you start with an indica uh, or an indica dominant hybrid, which is pretty much like you said, everything is, and now we have polyhybrids uh, where you've had strain, multiple strains crossed with multiple other strains. And, and so there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, mixed genetics that can result in something very interesting or something kind of more, I noticed uh, that. I've noticed that a lot. I think is just as it. as it progresses, it's a lot of cultivars start looking the same and developing the same structure, um, plant growth. You know, it's it almost resembles that PGR plant growth regulator over time. How the buds just get tighter. Um, you know, like a lot of those heirloom strains, how they used to be fluffier and bigger. You know, when you get an ounce, it'd be four fingers in a bag. Now you're looking at two. It's it, so I've noticed that over time. What you're saying in there, you call that a polyphenol. Is that that? What, is that what you said? I would say a polyhybrid. Polyhybrid. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Polyhybrid. Yeah, and and you know, it also the what what people choose for depends on what they're, how they're growing and, and what the marketplace demands, right. uh, which is interesting because for a while, for a long time, it was high THC percentages. And now we're seeing people more interested in terpene production. Right. And that's kind of where and, we're going with the next question. It's, it's mm -hmm. great that you just led into that. You know, it, that's, I think, one of a, a big misconception that people have. They think that just the higher the THC, the higher they'll get. Do you 
Do you see that as really a correlation or do you believe that it's more of the entourage effect that would take it past that ultra high level of THC? There, there's sort of a baseline amount of THC, I would say um, some, somewhere around 10 to 15%, which is what you want. And if there's a little bit more that can have a, a strong effect, but it's really how it interplays with the other cannabinoids, terpenoids, flavonoids, uh, that is going to give you the effect nuance and interesting different qualities. And uh, even having tried just pure THC on its own, it's quite boring uh, without those other things with it. And so um, I use the, the phrase entourage effect. Uh, Todd McCormick talks about it as less of an, the entourage has like one star, like THC, and it's more of a, a ensemble effect, like an orchestra. So right. we, we give a little too much credit in some cases to THC level mm -hmm. um, because that's the psychoactive that was discovered by Meshulam in the 60s um, that most people think, oh, that's what gets you high. But it, you need THC, but you also need all these other cannabinoids in different you know, amounts and different ratios to actually have those interesting different effects, um, uplifting, uh, lethargic, uh, insightful, cerebral, uh, couch lock, all right. those is because cannabis has so many different a variety of effects, right, which takes it can us make you hungry or it can suppress your appetite. It can yeah, make you, you sleepy or it can make you vibrant. It's, it's right. really how those interplay with each other. And, and that's, uh, another thing that, you know, as the public gets more educated, uh, you know, even the growers and the bud tenders and everybody else also plays a role in that. Right. A lot of places that I go to, um, we always go and check their products after the fact from we get to see it obviously growing, which is beautiful. But then we like to go to the location and actually purchase their product just to see kind of what's going on between the time that it was harvested to the time that it reaches the consumer. And I noticed a lot of the dispensaries, you know, they, when you go in there, they're going to want to tell you, oh, this is a hybrid. This is an indica. This is a sativa. And very few of them actually list the terpene analysis on there, which for me is someone who's a little bit more educated. I understand how the terpenes affect my personal you know how they affect me so me knowing that it's just and that's just by reading a bunch of tests and smoking a lot of cannabis you know that's really how i i determined how it affects me so i try to tell the bud tender oh you know please don't i, I just would rather see the terpenes if you have them and it surprises me how many people don't list the terpenes and so when i do go into these cultivations i i just kind of say, hey, don't you think it'd be smart to tell, you know, the customers how much terpenes and what terpenes are in your flower? And they, and they look at me and they're like, well, yeah, that, that would, yeah, that would help. And it's like, okay, cool. They're getting it. They're, you know, slowly but surely, you know, everybody's starting to understand that. And I think that that is a great, you know, big, one of the biggest misconceptions for newcomers so they they're looking for that information i think the worst thing is when somebody goes in who's a newbie and they ask for something and the and the bud tender says oh well this stuff makes me want to clean my house all day well they go home they smoke it that doesn't they they go right <laughs> in the couch but it did you know so it's it's completely different so and i think that would be off-putting for someone who's new uh to using cannabis to where if they got something and it did completely the opposite thing, they, they wouldn't know who to trust then because your first person that you 
go to is the bud tender. You trust what they're going to tell you. So that's really difficult. And I think that eventually we'll get there. So flushing, flushing cannabis when in cultivating, when growing, there's a common practice amongst growers to give your plant nothing but pH water with nothing in it, zero PPM, as close to zero PPM as you can get for the last week. Some people do two weeks. Um, what's, in, what's your take on that in, in just moving towards the correlation of how would you believe that that associates with white ash even burn? Yeah, well, the reason for flushing is because most cannabis is overfed. Uh, and that's really ultimately uh, what what the cause the cause of the reason people need to flush is because they are overfeeding their plants. And so if you have overfed your plants for 10, 12, 15 weeks, uh, it's not going to make much of a difference if you flush for a week with plain water. Uh, so and, and if you fed properly, meaning, you know, to the amount that the plant can can use without overdoing it. Uh, then there's really no reason to flush because the plant has been fed the proper amount of food. And if you want to do a little bit of a flush towards the end, it's not going to hurt. But, um, and people always ask me like, well, I grow organically. Do I need to flush? If you overfeed organically, sure. It's easier to overfeed with chem chemical nutrients, but you can overfeed with organics as well. Um, a sure sign of that is burnt leaf tips. And you can see that in, even in some of the most beautiful bud shots, the buds look beautiful. But if you just look at the leaf tips and you see that like, you know, centimeter yeah. or so of burnt tip, mm -hmm. that's an overfed plant. And that's, and I say, you know, most cannabis, 99% of it is overfed. And so then of course you need to flush, but if you feed properly, you, you don't need to flush. So why create the problem and then solve the problem when you can just feed lightly? I mean, look, look the nutrient brands are going to recommend you know, four milliliters per gallon, knowing it's not going to kill your plant, but also at the same time, knowing that, you know, one and a half to two milliliters is, is probably ideal, but they want you to finish the bottle and buy a new bottle and it's not going to kill anything. But we're also, we're not talking about an ornamental, like a poinsettia, you know, this is something we consume uh, and, and we concentrate. And, you know, so in everyone, in, in every case, if you're going to consume something or concentrate it, you want it to be as clean as possible. So for me, it's less about flushing than it is about feeding lightly and properly and not creating the need to flush, right? All right, yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Thank you for that. Um, do you think it's a misconception that white ash comes from proper flushing? Yeah, I mean, white ash comes from proper feeding, <laughs> right? Okay. Feeding okay. lightly and, you know, even better is to have a living soil where you really have very little inputs at all. I mean, the, the, the more you can get away from bottle feeding plants, the, the better in my opinion. Okay. And if you can have a, a medium that feeds itself and you just occasionally add organic material on top uh, and let that just absorb right in and, and you can improve your soil year after year uh, in that way, uh, not only can you help the planet, you know, because you're, you're creating a living soil, but you can also reduce inputs uh, and get off the bottle entirely right. in some right. cases. I know some growers that haven't fed, like bottle fed their plants in years, uh, and they just have such a rich soil that the, the plants take what they need, 
and leave behind what they don't. And th there's no flushing required. It's when you, uh, when you force a lot of mineral and salts and things into the plant that, that you create a need to potentially have to flush. But again, flushing for a week and it's not going to provide a white ash feeding properly uh, and not having to flush at all, ideally is the way to go. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. And I see a lot more people using uh, the living soil and moving towards living soil because of its cost benefits. And like you said, it's better for the earth. Um, some people even claim that it's it's better than any, it's the best flavor and it produces more flavorful cannabis, which I've had some and I, you know, for me, it was, it was on the level. It was good. It, I didn't see any difference, I don't think. But then again, I don't know how advanced the person was at it. I never seen his gross space, but he gave it to me and said, oh, this is living soil. And I was, oh, I was impressed. It definitely did the trick. So um, I also, when we just got back from Jamaica, the guys down there use uh, KNF for anybody that doesn't know what that is. It's a Korean natural farming, which was really, really interesting. And they're uh, able to change the actual complexities of the cannabis and give it like certain flavors by using different fruits. And it was, it was just really impressive. It, I, it blew my mind. So I'm going to do a little bit more research into that. That, that was really, really cool because I, I it really picked up. Uh, I think uh, Frenchie, he used to use the word uh, terroir, the, which was the terrace, the, the land it, it, where the, the cannabis encaptures the land mm -hmm. and it really pulled the terroir of the different fruits that they were using. It really, like I've had Jack Herrera plenty of times, but some of the Jack Herrera that they were growing down there had these, this mango essence, which was really, really wild. And it was, and another one had a, it was the same cultivar, but they were giving it like, I guess some strawberry mash or something. And it actually gave it like a strawberry undertone to it it was really interesting so um i think that's going to be something cool that's coming up in the future that most people go to but hopefully yeah. they, they get them off the bottle i like that exactly i mean it, oxygenated compost tea knf all of these aerobic and anaerobic ways of of growing it's, it's really the future because one one person's environment or soil is going to be different than another but knf uses uh local ingredients to really dial it in all right so now you're you've been a judge you've been a judge in all tons of cannabis competitions so what does a judge look for in cannabis competitions what you know what makes you most excited you know is it you, you judge flower isn't that right you just mostly judge flower correct flower sometimes concentrates uh i mean i've judged it all but yeah i, I, I like flower uh for me that's kind of the easiest thing to to dial in uh but you know i start with uh aroma and 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 appearance uh but it, but then i also uh will break it up and then check aroma again uh i'll use a, a loop uh, or a microscope or something to really get in and see uh you know maturity level the uh, actual glandular trichomes make mm -hmm. sure they're not all broken off or uh, all clear or all amber, for instance, um, just so I know that it was it was properly timed and, and picked when ripe. Um, and then uh, break it up, uh, really get us get a smell of the essence uh, after the flower is ground, because uh, I think a lot of the subtleties and nuance comes out there as well, the, the terroir, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and then roll it up, 
into a, a, a rolling paper, take a dry hit and see like what that tastes like just mm -hmm. without lighting it, um, then light it. Uh, I do check the burnability as well. I mean, I do like it to, to burn cleanly, not have to be relit. Uh, a nice wispy ash is good. Uh, and again, a sign of proper light feeding. Uh, and, and then kind of, does it, does it taste good at the beginning? That's great. But does it lose flavor over time? I mean, halfway down the joint, are you just, is it just tastes like smoke and coal and burning, you know, essence, mm -hmm. or are you still tasting it? Are you still getting that flavor uh, that you got on the first few hits? Uh, and then the exhale as well, uh, and the effect, right? You sit back and you actually absorb how does it make you feel? Uh, how long lasting is the effect? Um, does, it, does it come on super strong early and fade quickly? Or does it kind of creep up on you and linger for a longer period of time? Uh, all of those are kind of the factors uh, that are, are there, but it's really the overall experience because it's got to have all of it. It's got to have the aroma. It's got to have the burnability. It's got to have the effect. And, uh, you know, it's the overall experience of it. Is this something I'd, I'd be happy to pay, you know, dispensary prices for if I ever had to do that sort of thing? Uh, <laughs> it's tough and, to find it now. It's tough to find it. Sure, I've, absolutely. I've... But, you know, we're also connoisseurs and aficionados and there's plenty of people out there who are just happy to just get a, a vape pen or a five milligram edible. And I don't begrudge them that either. I mean, it's nice that they have a place to go uh, to do that. And certainly, you know, shouldn't, no one should have to be prosecuted or go to jail or, or, or anything for that either. Uh, but as connoisseurs, aficionados, and even people who are patients who are really looking for a particular strain or effect, uh, it is important to do due diligence and, and find the product that's right for you. Uh, and I want to get, you know, locally grown organic produce that's, uh, properly produced start to finish yep yep absolutely yeah that's yeah that's very interesting um how you said that and you put that it's definitely want it local you want it fresh and you know don't be so hard on yourself guys i mean you know i think i saw a really interesting statistic that says the canosaurs are the experts that uh we only make up five percent of the market so you know there's right. I mean, five percent people out there that that will take what the big boys grow and you know right. and the market them. the market for craft flour is shrinking as these other markets grow edibles and tinctures and and sublingual tablets and everything else that's out there uh and that you know that has a place obviously in the in the community and in the in industry as well i you know i'm i'll always appreciate good craft quality flour of course, of course. So real quick, this is just maybe a little bit, uh, just to get a little bit more into you. And I appreciate you. Thank you very much for your input that you had on those subjects. Um, but this is just a little bit more personal, um, just to kind of let our listeners know your background, a little bit deeper into your background. And this is a, a question that I always ask everybody who grew up. What was the first cultivar you ever grew? Mm, first cultivar I ever grew uh well first i ever grew was bag seed uh okay okay bag seed out of probably some mexican or what we called zona uh green arizona weed uh 
just to see what would happen if I planted a seed and what, you know, what pops up out of this. Uh, but the first real cultivar would, would be Sensi Star, uh, I think around 94, 95-ish. Uh, it either won or, or placed in a cup. And I happened to be in Amsterdam uh, at the time and brought home some seeds of that and kept that alive for a long, long time uh, here in New York uh, as a mother plant and just kept growing clones, rooting clones off of that one mom uh, for many years. So I kind of like... It That's was Sensi cool. Star. Yeah, that That's was cool. Paradise Seeds. It was, yes. you know. Aren't they there? I think they're out of Toledo, aren't they? They're out of Toledo. No, I think they're in no. Amsterdam. In, they're in, in Amsterdam? Holland. Okay, okay. Yeah, Paradise. For some reason, I, I, there must be another one. That's some people that are in Toledo. But um, it's very interesting. Some of the best cannabis that we had when I was growing up. Now, the in Ohio, they called it Ohio G, or, or they called it G13. This is because they didn't want to, I don't know if they wanted to say Sensi Star, but as I grew up and I found out later by traveling, it's like, oh, that was Sensi Star the whole time. It's like, oh, and you know, it's so crazy. Like some of the most popular cultivars today all have that trace of Sensi Star in them still. Yeah, it was, it was a weird time. It was like mid 90s, like White Widow, White Rhino. There was all these strains that, were kind of the new breed um, and took over for things like uh, NL5 Hayes and, and Williams Wonder and, you know, Northern Lights and uh, Skunk and, and Original Haze. Those were like big in the 80s. And then when the turnover happened and, and all, a lot of the seed banks started opening up in the, in the early 90s, uh, everybody kind of one-upped each other. Uh, and it was just, you know, bag appeal, indica, frosty, uh, you know, and that's why all those White Widow, uh, Sensi Star, those all became quite popular uh, in Holland and back home because uh, it was just like, you know, shining like a diamond, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Compared with, you know, whatever you could get from Canada, the BC stuff at that time uh, was certainly not quite as good. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. It, you'd always get the brick you know the brick was always <laughs> around the brick weed was always around but whenever you got some see we used to call it hydro too which was it could have yeah. been just, but i think that <laughs> a lot of the, the better weed back then was grown hydroponically i think at that time so you know in all your time you know writing with all the different you know especially with high times um but has your view on any type of cultivation changed is it have you went from one spectrum to saying oh no i don't dis i disagree with that i'd rather you know what's you know tell me what do you yeah think? i mean things it ch changes all the time i mean all the time like i said in the 90s we wanted 45 day flowering uh chunky you know indicas that you know could just have great bag appeal and then it, over time uh people wanted flavors and and uh so that changed it changes all the time. I mean, I used to tell people to use neem oil for pests and, and now I would never say that, you know. Uh, there's a lot of mythology and I've, I've fallen prey to some of that stuff as well. A lot of it is prohibition based as well. I mean, you have to remember uh, this was a plant that they tried to eradicate. They, we had to hide inside. At first, you know, you could get your Colombian and your Jamaican and your uh, imports. Then they cracked down on the imports and everybody started growing their own uh, and that pushed it all indoors. But this is a plant that wants to be grown in sunshine. It wants to live free. You know, it wants to 
take in all the spectrum of sunlight and not be limited to an indoor situation with you know, uh, us just kind of doing our best to recreate what happens naturally outside. And I'm sure you saw that in Jamaica. I mean, they have the perfect climate to grow outdoors. There's no reason to, <laughs> to you know, you honestly, know, to have it's air conditioning. It's, it's, a, it's difficult for them, believe it or not. There, there's right. some people that are because, you know, of course you get perfect light cycles. I mean, it's there is no room for veg. The only time you have to supplement is for veg. But mm -hmm. um, the humidity, you know, they've gotten so many of the uh, hype cultivars, you know, following the hype strain that they don't have the, the cultivars that are really still like built for that region. So they're taking right. a lot of those the poly hybrids and bringing them down to a place that's just, you know, obviously there's like, I guess there's 13 different microclimates on the island. And so depending upon where you're at on the island really depends on which cultivar that you're going to be successful with. I mean, right. yes, it was good, but the problem is really drying. And that's well, uh, like going back to what you said, I, there's no one perfect way to grow. I mean, there's so many different ways depending on where you are and, and what your objectives are and whether you're going for hashish production or vape pens or you know co2 extraction there's so many variables and so many things changed over time i mean uh yeah i it's a constant learning process and i'm sure there's way more uh that i'll continue to learn from but it is important to to understand the myths and the why certain things are are, are done a certain way and then also question those things because some of them are based in prohibition or they're based in uh, outdated thinking or hippie folklore, you know, and all Don't pseudoscience is like what uh, I like to call it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, more science, less bro uh, yeah. is a good way to sort of, you know, yeah, understand that we are only scratching the surface with this plant of what it's capable of and what we can learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the biggest myth in your time? What's the biggest myth that you've seen? Wow, the biggest. Mm -hmm. ah, there's <laughs> no, too many. There's too many. How about let's uh, let's go into the curing. Let's just ask about curing. What is your definition of curing at this point? Because I know that I've, when I first started growing, people told me, "Oh, you got to seal it up. It's best if you seal it for a year. That's how you really get it rich." And you know, and as I grow, I'm like, uh, "No, I don't think that that is. I I, I feel like that's not." the best way i think it's best i've always found like personally that it's best when it's fresh you know like when that moisture level is completely even all the way across the board is kind of what i consider my cure but you do you how do you feel about that yeah i, I mean to me curing is part of the drying process so there i consider it like kind of the second half of, of the drying process so first you pull about 75 percent of the water or so out uh fairly quickly, you know, over seven to 10 days or so, um, a lot of the water is coming out uh, pretty quickly. And then there's that last remaining, you know, five, 10% that you want to pull out a little more slowly. And really, it's just about like, uh, getting rid of like, any kind of grassy, green, fresh, sort of taste, chlorophyll -y kind of thing. But uh, it's really just a slower drying process. So once once you've dried, once you've hang dried your buds uh, or branches, and then you put them into the jars to cure, uh, 
you're really just slowly sweating that last bit of moisture out uh, and getting it to the level you're talking about where it's just a perfect moisture level, about 20 to 25% or so of the original water content. Uh, and so that it doesn't break up into dust, right? But it also breaks up into something that you can light on fire and keep, keep uh, burn, burning. And uh, to me, that's kind of what curing is. And I've even seen places now um, that do all their curing hanging. You know, they just, uh, they do it in a really cold room. I mean, I do believe drying and curing should happen uh, in something colder than room temperature. Uh, that's, that's important. If you're going to go that route, um, there's other routes you can go, including cryocure, right? Um, which is a different way to go and also very interesting and, and has amazing implications uh, for cannabis as well. Didn't exist when I started growing, you know, there wasn't, that wasn't an option. And I do think that um, as Ed, our, our friend Ed Rosenthal also says, uh, some of the reasons that, that people do curing also has to do with prohibition in a way, uh, because you can't have that odor permeating at all times. And, uh, you know, it, it, it harkens back to those days also can, can in some cases lead to mold or bud rot in the jar if you've put it in there too soon and there's too much moisture or you get that ammonia um, smell uh, that's very off-putting and is, is certainly not something I wanna consume. Um, so I do think that there's something to be said for a, a proper slow cure because it does bring out some of the subtle subtleties and nuances, uh, but there's other things that can go wrong over time as well. So uh, it's something you, you really, you need a lot of time for and, uh, and commitment to opening up those jars and making sure that that moisture level doesn't get too high inside there for too long. But there's a chemical process that occurs and there is moisture being slowly removed. And I do think that it, it is helpful to the process. Um, I certainly, think it's better than just uh, drawing on the branch and just bagging something up and putting it out into the marketplace. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And we're going to figure out what that science is. I mean, obviously, there's people that is smarter than myself that they studied that. Um, actually, we'll have a gentleman on who is going to talk about what goes on when the flower is put into the jar and it's broke down. And it there's a concentration of, of, of gases in that jar that do play a role and have an effect on the cannabis. It can be a positive or a negative effect, depending. So uh, it is important to, to dial that process in. It's very hard to do uh, also with, you know, hundreds or thousands of pounds of, of biomass as well. It's not... Yeah, a lot of these. Yeah, a lot of these places they just don't build the adequate facilities. To they didn't really see that drying process taking up so much space that it takes. Especially when you pull. I mean, there's facilities that pull down two thousand pounds a week. You know, there's facilities that pull down four thousand pounds every week, and I couldn't even imagine. I think I've seen a fraction of where they were doing their hang drying, but it's, it's, it's becomes very very difficult when it gets to that large of an operation to right. cure that much cannabis so well yeah. do you know the thing that's changed the most for me over the you know 30 plus years that i've been growing and also following this and visiting grows and and smoking and judging all these cannabis cups and everything the thing that's changed for me the most is when we got started we we were growing for bulk and weight 
and, and, and looks and things like that. And now we're growing for essential oil. And the most important thing is to preserve the essential oil, the glandular trichomes and all of that. And I think that has changed the, the, the growing process, the drying process, the curing process uh, and concentrates. I mean, you know, concentrate makers want surface area and they want essential oil. They, they could care less about bi actual green biomass. And so, you know, if you're adding CO2, for instance, to huge levels and you're, you're building a larger flower, but you're not really necessarily creating more essential oil, that's less desirable to me than maybe a smaller bud with a, a higher concentration of cannabinoids and flavonoids and terpenoids. And that to me is the hugest difference. And also one of the reasons why cryocure as well is so interesting is that the preservation of the trichome, the ability to basically uh, stop the process of aging, because you know, as cannabis ages, it doesn't, it, 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 it gets better slightly over time, but then immediately begins to degrade, um, you know, more so like Beaujolais than uh, Burgundy, right? A Burgundy, you can, a wine you put away for 10 years and it get, it improves over time. Beaujolais should be consumed within a year of, of production. So to me, cannabis falls into that, you know, sphere uh, where you, you, you don't want the THC or the CBD or whatever the cannabinoids to degrade too much into CBN, mm -hmm. um, unless you're looking for that super lethargic effect that you get when, cannabis, uh, when THC and other cannabinoids degrade. Uh, but most people aren't, you know, I'm looking for the uplifting. I'm looking for the uh, cerebral. I'm looking for the interesting experience uh, that, that you get from craft cannabis and, and the flavors and all that. And that really, if you can preserve that, that's to me, the future, at least of, you know, flower production and uh, terpenoid preservation. Right. Absolutely. What, and what was cool, like how you said the actually being able to preserve the trichome it's, um, Frenchie said it best too. God, you know, may rest in peace. Um, if he was here still, we would definitely have him on to talk about this, but he said that we're taking the guessing work out of, for that, for the hashishan, for the, for the, you know, when they, when they go up to a plant at harvest time, they have to guess where that trichome is going to be in a week, where the, what the gland is going to do within the week and that it dries. And what we're doing with this is actually taking out that guesswork. So, you know, you just walk right up to the plant and say it's ready, then you know exactly what you're getting. So, it's very interesting that you said that. I, I, I agree with you on that 100%. So I guess, uh, you know, that's about it. I mean, other than, you know, if you want to give uh, give us a plug on what you're doing and anything that's coming up next, you know, obviously your book, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the book is, is selling great. I put it out in 2018. Uh, it's called Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing uh, Marijuana. And it really is for beginners. There's a lot more you can learn from Ed and Jorge and everybody else. Uh, but this is entry level get, to get you started. Uh, it's a great hobby. You know what went into it. You know uh, the strains that you're growing. You know whether they're overfed, uh, overwatered, using pesticides, all of that. And most of all, it's fun. It's really, it's an enjoyable hobby. And, uh, and it's cheaper 
than than buying you know three hundred and fifty dollar ounces as well uh, mm -hmm. if you do it right. So uh, yeah, there's the book. Um, there's the magazine that I'm working with, which is called Northeast Leaf Magazine, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, we're coming up on our two year anniversary of covering the whole cannabis community and industry of the Northeast. And uh, there's the podcast Grow Bud Yourself, uh, which we're on episode 90, I think, at this point, and uh, it's free to listen to. We've interviewed a lot of uh, prominent breeders and growers and, and uh, people uh, involved in cannabis, including Frenchie and a bunch of other people uh, who, you know, I'm very proud of many of those interviews uh, because, again, some of those people are no longer with us. Uh, and I think it's important that we document uh, the history. And as you said, it, it's all changing. So you can't get so rigid to think that there's that you, you know everything or that uh, there's one way and your way is the right way. There's lots of different ways. And uh, I think that's what we're discovering is that this plant has uh, a lot more to teach us uh, than we already know. And uh, I think that's the most important thing that people understand that it's a healing flower uh, and that they they don't let anybody shame them uh, for cannabis consumption. If they have friends that are involved with opiates, uh, alcohol, uh, pharmaceutical pills, uh, anything like that, even sugar and nicotine are, are, are more harmful than this healing flower. And you can, you can add years to your life and make those years more enjoyable by consuming cannabis. Uh, and if you have friends, uh, you know, suffering from post-traumatic stress uh, or depression or anything else, uh, please, you know, point them in the direction. It, may, it doesn't work for everybody and it's not necessarily for everybody, but uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from this wonderful healing flower. And that, uh, you know, includes uh, plant medicine in general, which I would also include, uh, you know, psilocybin and psychedelic medicine as well in that uh, these are, are, are substances that are here to help us and we just need to uh, tune in and uh, understand what they, what they can, how they can help us and what they can teach us. They've been around a lot longer than the government that controls them. That's for sure. Absolutely. You know, laws come and go. Uh, but the reality is there are, there's a lot to learn from uh, the plant and animal and fungal world. And the, the, the more we get back to that, I think uh, the healthier we will be and the healthier the planet will be. And uh, hopefully, you know, that'll, that'll make a change for the future. That's a positive step. Yeah, I believe it will. I believe it will. The more and more the information spreads, information spreads a lot faster now than it did back then. So their disinformation, it's, it just falls on death ears anymore. So, and so, you know, I, I, I see the plant itself for what it is. It is a healing plant. It's done wonders for me. It's done wonders for a lot of people that I know. And it, they just can't suppress it any longer. I can, what do you think, Danny? Do you think how many more years do you think? I know we always say this like, oh, it's going to be any year. It could be two years. I'm like, you when mean do like you for think? full, full, yeah, full on federal legalization, yeah. Yeah. you know, farmers markets with jars of cannabis. And uh, we, yeah, I mean, as Ed, would I'm, say, I'm, as Ed would say, pot for pennies. When's the pot for pennies coming? Right. right. I, I'm hoping less than five years. Uh, I, I, I never necessarily believed we'd get this far this fast, uh, even though I, I, I dreamed it and I, I wanted it. Uh, I do think we've come a long way, but we do have a long, long way to go. There's still 40,000 people locked up for nonviolent cannabis offenses. There's still 
uh, people with this on their records that can't get jobs and been separated from their families. People's homes are still being raided. Uh, there's countries where you can get a, a death sentence for cannabis possession. So uh, we do have a long way to go, uh, but we can celebrate as well. You know, we've come a long way and our parties are a lot more fun than the, uh, the prohibitionist parties as well. Yeah, a lot less fighting. <laughs> so no. we're on the right side of history um, and, you know, the arc of the moral universe <laughs> is long, but it bends towards justice, as Martin Luther King said, and we're, we're on the right side of that arc. Uh, and we are ambassadors for this flower. So that's the last thing I would say to people is, is be an ambassador for the flower. You know what I mean? Um, treat people kindly, uh, do right by the plant and it will do right by you. Great. That's great words. Thanks, Danny. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to The Cold Truth, where we explore and break the myths that surround the cannabis plant and ever-changing industry. A special thank you to our guests for their expertise. Have myths you're able to dispel? Join us as a guest, or let us know what topics you would like to learn more about by contacting us at info at cryocure.com. Thank you for listening, and see you on our next episode.